Everything's done in moderation, right? Let's not go overboard one way or another, but it is time to start to lean into the science. You don't lose the art of selling, but to lean into the science of it as it relates to having the right technologies, the right data, and the insights that you can glean from the data that you have. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? We're back with another episode of the B2B MX Podcast. I'm your host, Claudia Tarico, and yeah, here we go. We've got episode three of season five ready to roll. Uh, quick update on my part. I had a bit of an accident a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm, a, I'm quite embarrassed to say uh, that I actually fell off the treadmill at the gym, and I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty fluent in treadmill, and I'm, I'm a a good runner. Um, I actually ran my first 10K recently. Um, I love to go max incline, max speed on the treadmill. So it's quite embarrassing for me to say that I actually fell off the treadmill and broke my wrist. Um, and it wasn't just, you know, a, a clean break where they just toss a cast on me and, and let me go on my merry way. Um, it was pretty severe to the point where I actually had to get surgery last week. Uh, so it it's been really, it's really been sucky lately. I'm not going to lie. You know, being an editor and a writer who relies on typing with two hands for work, um, it does, it does really suck. Um, but luckily podcasts are all voice. Uh, they don't require any typing or even any hands, to be honest. All I have to do is use my right arm to, uh, plug in my mic here. So it's really a treat to be here. You know, while we do have a lot of original interviews scheduled uh, for the remainder of the season, uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll uh, with another replay from B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in Boston. Honestly, there was just so many great sessions that really deserve to be heard, um, especially if you were unable to attend B2B SMX Live in Boston or even check out our Best of B2B MX virtual event. So lucky for you, some of these awesome sessions are available on this podcast right here. And one of them is coming right up. Now, Mary Shea. What can I say about Mary Shea that has not been already said? She is truly amazing. She's been such a prominent figure in B2B um, for so long. I mean, I remember seeing her talk at B2B MX Actually, I think it was even before it was called B2BMX. It was still the Content to Conversion Conference. And she was with Forrester as one of their lead analysts. Um, and she was just so smart and had so many valuable insights to share that honestly, it was just such a treat to have her take our keynote stage at B2B SMX. Now um, in a new role, actually. She's no longer with Forrester. She is now um, on the outreach team as Global Innovation Evangelist, and that is such a boss title for such a boss woman. So um, Mary Shea, I mean, she predicted 
uh, about four years ago, she predicted that B2B sellers armed and abled with the most innovative technologies would finally fulfill their uh, consultative duties or destinies, you know. Today, that future is here. Um, So in this keynote, Mary really lays out her vision for post-pandemic B2B buying and selling, the role new sales technologies play in enabling predictable and efficient revenue creation, and the emergence of a new cohort called Revenue Innovators. And and this is really a fascinating, fascinating cohort. So the last 18 months have been have been challenging, right? I mean, actually it was probably it's now been more than 18 months, but you you catch my drift. So as we kind of ramp off of this pandemic, we're going to continue to see innovation, transformation, and predictable revenue generation flourish. And Mary Shea has got it all lined out for you on this uh, keynote. So let's roll the tape. Ready? Three, two, one. everyone. It is so wonderful to be here, and I'm so happy to see my colleagues front and center, so thank you. Familiar faces all around. This is actually my first in-speaking event um, in 20 months, believe it or not. So I've been told by another speaker that this is going to be a very friendly audience as I get my sea legs back, but uh, thank you all for being here, and I really look forward to sharing um, some of my new research with you and some of the different things that we're thinking about, talking about, writing about, and doing at Outreach. So with that, um, let's get going. So today's focus is really going to be about the rise of a new cohort of leaders that we're calling revenue innovators. And these innovators are really rising up in the midst of a highly uncertain and yet transformative environment. Devin and I were just talking a few moments before I came on about what's going to happen next. Is this the last in-person event we'll be doing? Um, Will we find ways to adapt and coexist with some of the challenges that are out there today? But one of the things I think we're going to see in this unique period of time that we're in is tremendous transformation and innovation. And that's really what I want to talk to you all about today. So I'll share with you some pretty big macro B2B trends that I'm seeing affecting buying and selling in the business world. We'll talk about the amazing, messy mayhem that's happening within the sales technology landscape. I'm sure you all are following that, but just over the last week, we've had um, acquisitions, we've had $100 million funding, we've had valuations of a billion dollar plus. Today, uh, we just had an announcement of people.ai getting another round and a big valuation. So much is happening in that space, and I'm so excited to be at the heart of it at Outreach. And then we'll talk in more detail about this new cohort or class of leaders that are leading throughout the entire go-to-market organization. We won't have time for formal Q&A here just because we don't have the microphones and it probably doesn't make sense in this current setting, but I'm happy to chat with any of you one-to-one after this session, and you can always track me down on LinkedIn or Twitter or through my outreach email. I'm super accessible. So that's the focus for the chat today. And with that, let's talk about some of these big trends that I think we're all seeing out there. I've decided to call this phase that we're in the next normal. And within this next normal, 
I think we see that we're in a period of time where uh, there are economic uh, challenges, massive demographic shifts. Millennials now are half of the global workforce. We've been talking about this for years. And there's some pretty significant implications on that around how, how buying and selling happens as a result of that demographic. And we're seeing political and social unrest, which are manifesting in all kinds of different ways as we look at the bifurcation of wealth, the emergence of BLM, and really more focus on diversity, equity, inclusion within the B2B selling and buying world. And then we're also seeing massive unpredictability. I think as we think about events like this and how we go to market and how we market and sell, we're going to have to lean in and lean out as the climate changes and be very flexible and fluid and malleable as we continue on in this environment that I'm calling transformational, um, but also full of many, many different challenges. And so when I did some surveys with go-to-market leaders, and this in particular was on um, sales leaders or revenue leaders, I wanted to understand how some of the different trends that were in play were going to impact their go-to-market strategies. And 54% of revenue leaders say an uncertain economic environment is going to impact their go-to-market, their go-to-market strategies. And 38% said changing and evolving buyer requirements. I think we may see, as I've got some research in the field now, um, more and more focus on this changing and evolving buyer, um, which is continuously impacting how buying and selling takes place in the business world. Flexibility, I mentioned that as we started out, I think is going to be really key. And I kind of uh, started this discussion on LinkedIn when I saw Apple was announcing a mandate of having employees return to headquarters. We also saw this with, um, I think it was JP uh, Morgan Chase and Morgan Stanley and some of the other FinServe players, other companies that are saying, you need to come to work. And what I found when I was at Forrester and the work that I did there in the future of work was that there were three primary models for work emerging. One was work from anywhere, one was this hybrid, and one was um, uh, primarily at headquarters. And we saw this primarily at headquarters focus on companies like Apple that had made massive investments uh, in their headquarters or where their brand was inextricably linked um, to that physical presence, um, or in the financial services industry or other industries where a high degree of collaboration really needed to happen in person. But then on the flip side, and maybe some of you saw that uh, provocative Wall Street Journal article that came out on July 14th talking about the sales profession, and some very dated language, but what was really interesting was that um, talent is hard to come by. And we're not just talking about frontline workers or in the restaurant industry. Talent is going to get very difficult to acquire and retain both on, uh, in the business world and in particular on the sales side. Um, so I think it is going to be a candidate's market. And what my sales leaders tell me is that one of the first or second questions a candidate asks is, do I have the ability to work from home? Do I have freedom? Do I have flexibility? And so companies that are rigid in their um, work strategy, I think, are going to run the risk of seriously losing out on talent or being unable to retain that talent as they move forward. The other thing that my research found was that most organizations are now operating with a smaller size sales force than they did pre-pandemic. 
That's really not surprising. I don't think this should shock anyone. But what I do see happening as we get to the next phase of this pandemic and beyond, and as technology, namely automation and AI, continue to mature, and boards and CEOs become more aware of the implications that these innovative technologies can have on driving efficiency, predictability, and growth, you're gonna see sales organizations get smaller in size. And my vision for the future, which I hope to write about really, really soon, is that sales organizations, the direct selling organizations, are gonna be smaller, more nimble. We will move away from the 80-20 rule where 80% of your revenue historically would come from 20% of your top sellers and start with sellers that are armed and abled with the most innovative technologies and that are upskilled and reskilled by their organizations, 60 to 70 to 80% of those folks are now going to be um, meeting and exceeding targets. So I think we're starting to go into a world where you have more agile sales forces. And as a former CRO, um, the strategy of adding another person to get another million bucks or whatever uh, it is for your type of sales motion is going to fall by the wayside as you're going to have to start looking at smart tooling, hiring of different talent, enabling that talent differently, structuring, organizing, and compensating those folks in a real different way. And so I do believe that um, there's going to be more complexities as you think about crafting and architecting your go-to-market strategies. So this concept of adding another body when you need another million bucks, I think is also going to go by the wayside um, as we look to have smaller, more agile, and more highly productive direct sellers. I was speaking with Hang Black the other day, and many of you know her, she's very vocal, just published a wonderful book um, that's so inspirational. And she kept mentioning this term, hyper-hybrid, and that's how she's thinking about things, and so I kind of copied that as we do. All of, uh, all of us on the, on the speaker circuit do learn from each other. And I do think we're starting to emerge into a hyper-hybrid model. I used to call it remote or digital or virtual, and now I think it's really, like I said, we have to be agile, um, and we need to follow the lead of the buyer or buying groups or buying committees. If it makes sense to meet in person, on site, let's do it. If it doesn't, let's not do it. If you're on site and there may be two or three folks there, but another 20 that are zooming in, you need to have the skills and the adaptability to um, oops, focus in that environment. So it looks like we've got uh, the AI sort of took over. I'm gonna move it back. That's why we need human interventions. All right, so the other thing I wanted to mention um, on uh, this concept of really a hyper-hybrid model evolving is that as early as 2017, I actually uh, conducted research that showed that buyers wanted to meet less and less in person. So in this instance, one out of seven buyers in 2017 said they prefer um, not to meet in person. They prefer the efficiency um, that could happen through the use of technologies that could um, bring folks together and even enable authentic connections. So my point on this particular visual and graphic here is that these trends had been in motion um, much earlier than, than when COVID hit. And what happened when we had COVID hit 
was it became a very significant accelerant for many of these trends that had already been in play. I've been talking to a colleague of mine over lunch, and Colin, I'll just call you out since you're right in front of me. And Colin was saying, you know, I think some of our, our sales folks, some of the more um, upstream folks that focus on the enterprise accounts aren't necessarily open to this concept. I'm really curious, um, by a show of hands, do you see your sales organization um, sitting by the sidelines and waiting for this to all pass so they can go back on site, or really embracing some of the new skill sets that's required to be successful in a digital remote world? What do you all see? Yeah. Both. Both? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some real advantages to not being on the road 24-7, better health, more time with your family, um, you know, more productivity. The other thing is, uh, I also hear from sellers who have young families, they kind of miss the opportunity of getting out on the road and getting a break from sort of the day-to-day -day interruptions at home. So I think there's a real, a real mix there. But the biggest message I want to deliver to the sellers at Outreach and any sellers that I speak at, whether it's at a sales kickoff or a situation like this, which is you really need to embrace learning the new skills to be, in, to be uber successful in a hybrid and remote type of environment. Um, so definitely do not sit by the sidelines. I think maybe some of you might have seen some of these stats, and this really shows that buying and selling in the business world is headed in a fundamentally different place. I made the call at Forrester in July of 2020 that 80% of B2B sales were going to be done in a remote and digital fashion. And that was a pretty aggressive call at the time. I had a lot of people um, who really seriously doubted that. And um, I think we're seeing uh, in September of that same year, Gartner essentially made the exact same call. McKinsey, Accenture, and everyone else out there that you're reading is essentially saying the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that sellers are never going to go visit on-site. I think, as I said before, it's going to be at the bequest of the buyer or the buying committee. And it may happen later in the cycle. So maybe the first three to four um, meetings might happen in a remote setting or a different type of setting over a meeting platform. And then those final meetings might actually happen in person. And you also have some different types of selling motions where you actually have to be there in person, whether it's you know, an energy deal or a large global outsourcing deal where you're spending multiple millions of dollars. There is going to be some in person that's happening. And then I think the most interesting stat here, again, is a Gartner one, which looks at by 2025, I believe they were saying, um, selling is going to move from that um, instinct, experiential type of approach to really data-driven insights. And so what I'm telling um, organizations that I work with is everything's done in moderation, right? Let's not go overboard one way or another. Um, but it is time to start to lean into the science you don't lose the art of selling, but to lean into the science of it as it relates to having the right technologies, the right data, and the insights that you can glean from the data that you have. This is another example of what I've been watching over the last several years, which is the blurring of inside and outside sales um, types of roles. Even before COVID, field sellers or um, outside sellers, so to speak, were spending 40 to 50% of their time doing the exact same selling motions that your so-called inside sellers were doing. So I hope we come to a world now where sellers are sellers, 
and analog and virtual boundaries don't define the types of sellers uh, that you are, and that we're going to see a high level of super specialization. And that specialization can come in your uh, understanding of a particular aspect or area of the buy cycle, or it could be industry, or it could be full cycle, but we're going to see, I think, less differentiation between these different types of sellers, and perhaps I'm gonna make a call that we're gonna rebrand and move away from this inside-outside field nomenclature towards something that's more reflective of how the buyer actually wants to buy from folks. Now, in the midst of all these changes and challenges, we're starting to see uh, the impact of a new demographic of buyers. So I talked about millennials, and I, I hate to make these over-generalizations, um, but I will for the purpose of this because it's helpful. Um, millennials tend to lean in towards more of a consensus-building um, decision-making cycle, and now we have millennials that are economic uh, decision-makers, influencers, coach, doing much more than simply surfacing up that list of uh, vendor candidates to evaluate. So with this, we're starting to see now um, the uh, average number of stakeholders involved in an enterprise type of decision um, is 11. That comes from Gartner. And what they say is that in even more complex sales, you can go up to 22 folks. And then this uh, stat on the, on the left here shows the average number of touches that needs to happen across an entire sales cycle went from 17 in 2019 to 27 in 2020. So that's pretty significant. So all of this means is that even if you have a relatively simple selling and buying motion, you've got more um, cooks in the kitchen, and that's going to add significant complexity to your sales cycle, maybe elongating deals, slowing deals down, having deals um, slip, and you're going to need to ensure that your sellers have the appropriate tools and systems to enable them to manage this more complex process. On here on the right side of the screen is a screenshot of a new product that we have in beta, which we call Success Plans. And right on the outreach platform, you're going to be able to meet your buying committee and bring your selling uh, team together so that they can co-create a mutual action plan. And one of the beautiful things about this system is that it's increasing collaboration, which buyers tell me they want. They want a more collaborative type of sales process. And it's allowing uh, you to extract from those interactions all of that data and immediately upload it back to your CRM and your system with a large data set of human behavioral activity that's taking place between buyers and sellers, you can then build algorithms that are gonna provide rich insights to your sellers, your sales managers, and your revenue leaders. And so this is something I think is very transformational as the sales tech space moves from a mashup of point solutions to these Uber platforms or alpha platforms as Gartner's calling it, and you can have um, functionality and capabilities that are gonna support all of your revenue team members across the entire customer life cycle. So I think this is a good segue now to talk about, you know, what's happening in the sales tech landscape. 
And as I mentioned earlier, I think it's a time of really um, great transformation and innovation. And you know that future is here. I kind of think of, I'm a wine drinker, so I like to say Le Beaujolais est arrivé, for any of you French speakers or wine drinkers. It's here. We are not waiting for it. We're not planning for it. And we don't know exactly um, what it's going to be like as we move forward, but we do know that AI and automation are going to factor very heavily into all of our lives, personally and professionally, as we move forward. So the, te the sales tech landscape, for any of you uh, technology historians here, maybe hopefully I'm not the only uh, sales tech historical geek here, but when I think about the sales technology landscape, I feel like it started circa 2015, and I had such a benefit of um, joining Forrester as a sales analyst in July of 2015. Prior to 2015, it was all about CRM. Uh, Salesforce went public at $11 for in uh, 2004. They're now uh, tra trading at over 200 with a $200 billion plus market valuation. But I have to say, and I hope I won't offend anyone here, that I think CRM has had its moment. And it's moving to a different place in the sales technology stack, primarily driven by what Gartner's calling these alpha platforms, or I'm calling Uber platforms, or ultimately, as I talk a little bit more about what we're doing at Outreach, um, engagement and intelligence, where we're bringing together and extracting all of the activity that's happening across the buying cycle, the content consumption, the engagement, and we're bringing that together to shape intelligence that everyone in the revenue team can act on at any given time, and any given moment. So some of the big trends you know, I'm seeing and I've been talking about for a while are one, this collection of point solutions that we saw circa you know, two, 200, 2015 to um, you know, moving through the, the 20s, now we're at a place where these companies are becoming functionalities within larger platforms. So think about, um, think about conversation intelligence, Gong, right? They went to market and God love them and hopefully they're here, great marketing, um, but really only had one product which was conversation intelligence, but a much broader vision for what that can do. Um, you're going to start to see massive mergers and acquisitions, PE roll-ups and uh, companies go public with this more of a platform approach so that organizations don't have to cobble together best of breed point solutions that are really difficult to integrate and to have data integrity around and are gonna make the bets on the right provider or right platform that the entire go-to-market organization can use and we're really on the cusp um, of that opening up and I'm pleased that Outreach is really leading the charge and um, hope to share some new news with you um, very, very soon. Back in 2017, I wrote a report at Forrester called um, The B2B Consultant Seller Reigns, and that's R-E-I-G-N-S in the 21st century. And my vision at that time was uh, kind of against the uh, death of the B2B salesman. Maybe some of you had heard of that report that uh, one of the analysts wrote. And I really had a vision that sellers armed and amped with innovative technologies would finally reach their true consultative destiny. And I think we're right on the cusp of that. Um, and so we see that organizations and sales leaders in particular planned as they went into 2021 to make more significant investments in AI and automation because they know 
those technologies are now more mature, mature enough to deliver significant business outcomes, primarily to drive efficiency, effectiveness, and predictability. And here on the right side of the screen is uh, an example of Kaya, which is our conversation intelligence capability that sits in the platform as well. Kaya provides real-time um, virtual assistance to sellers in the moment. So uh, by using natural language processing, Kaya real-time will extract what the buyer is saying, and based on the question or prompt, will pop up this enablement card in the moment that can help sellers answer really complex questions or even understand what the weather is where their buyer is sitting to have a, a relationship-building conversation. This um, system and AI is sitting on the shoulder, so to speak, of your sellers. And it also allows your sales managers to engage real-time and coach in the moment while sellers are on that um, call. And so one of the reasons I'm so excited about Kaya is that I think that this is going to allow new hires, new sellers to ramp up quicker. Time to productivity is one of the key metrics that heads of sales look at um, when they're trying to look at the health of their organization. There's nothing worse than paying a seller $250,000 a year and not getting an ounce of productivity out of them for nine months. So we're gonna see more accelerated, um, shortened ramp time. I think you're also gonna see um, with these types of tools and systems, sellers can take on more and larger territories um, because they don't have to memorize every single piece of product information. They're getting help in the moment. Um, and you'll see less tenured reps um, be able to have uh, pretty sophisticated conversations. So as I take a step back now and talk about the marketplace, what I see happening, and we're really right in the middle of it uh, right now, which is a um, consolidation of categories. Maybe some of you have noticed and seen different types of sales technology categories are, are having scope creep in, in moving around, and it's hard to know exactly which type of sales technology stays in what category. So I'm seeing a convergence of sales engagement with revenue operations and intelligence. And so again, engagement and consumption of content are gonna be the fuel that brings that data back to the system and allows it to come out with ongoing real-time insights and intelligence from everyone uh, horizontally across and vertically up your revenue organization. So stay tuned for uh, some more announcements there. As I talk about sales engagement as we think about it um, traditionally, um, one of the things I think the categories had troubles with is that folks immediately assume sales engagement is just for your front of the cycle reps, high velocity reps, reps that are early cycle. Um, but the reality is now at, at Outreach and a number of other companies that play in the space, we have functionality and capabilities for everyone across the entire uh, revenue organization. The other thing that I think is really outstanding about um, engagement, even in the way we looked at it historically, is that the return on investment is absolutely tremendous. So when I wrote the Sales Tech Tide for Forrester, we did a rich survey of uh, B2B sales technology buyers, and we asked them if they were getting the value out of the solution or platform that they expected or thought they were going to get. And the ROI for sales engagement is 68% uh, uh, of the respondents said the ROI was high or very high. Now, we also did 
um, a, a total economic impact study with outreach at the time. And I don't remember the numbers, but it was somewhere in the range of 300 to 400 ROI. Um, 300, okay, good. So I didn't do too badly. 370. The ROI um, for these types of solutions, both in terms of the effectiveness and efficiency and productivity lift you get, is absolutely tremendous. And then when you look at uh, revenue intelligence, and this is a, a, a category, as I said, that's coming together with engagement, um, and, and this is, uh, allows for the automatic upload um, to CRM of all of these activities I've talked about. And then that coming together with revenue operations, which is historically looking at deals, pipelines, and forecasts, all of this is going to come together. And revenue operations and revenue intelligence, the ROI from, uh, from, that we got from that study was around 48%. So when you bring revenue ops, revenue intelligence, and sales engagement together, you're going to have this Uber alpha platform uh, that's going to provide ROI that's off the charts and it's going to be designed for every member of the revenue system, revenue team. And so with this, you're going to see companies like, you know, whether it's, it's uh, Outreach or Gong or Sixth Sense or um, Zoom, Zoom Info has just made some interesting moves and maybe even people at AI.ai come into this. You're going to see this new collection of platforms rise to the top as I believe CRM will start to take more of a role um, in the back of the office, whether it becomes a customer data platform or some sort of a single source of truth from a data perspective, it's not going to be the layer that your sellers and revenue teams operate on long term. So in the midst of the technological transformation, as well as the uncertainty in the overall global uh, environment, I'm starting to follow and think about this new class of leaders that I'm seeing emerge up, and it's beyond exciting uh, for me. And so this, this new cohort that I'm talking about, I'm calling revenue innovators, and it's a new cohort of revenue leaders who put buyers at the center of their strategies, arm their sellers with the most innovative sales technologies, and who over-index on data rather than intuition to inform their decisions. And this is very different from when I was a CRO. Everything was gut, instinct, art-based. I would triangulate. I'd have skip-level meetings because I didn't have access to the data and tools that business leaders have today. And so with the technology innovation and the uh, emergence of a new um, demographic, we're seeing these leaders rise up. So I started to think a lot about, gosh, you know, the sales leader, the chief revenue officer, your top sales officer, historically has about 18 months in the job before they got fired. I've certainly gotten fired many times. Um, it's, uh, it, it comes with the territory, right? But the skills that I needed as a revenue leader are very different from what I see today. I spent a lot of time talking with CROs and talking with Anna Baird, uh, our CRO, and Manny. And I believe that while there's some aspects of the role are still the same, many are changing. So CROs today need to deliver efficient, effective, and predictable growth. Now, what's different from that? Well, in the past, there was always a focus on top line and a little bit less focus on the profitability or margin growth. You're going to start to see more pressure put on your sales leaders around margin growth. 
they hire, and I want to say retain, because that's probably more important than actually hiring, a diverse team. I did a survey last year that looked at, um, asked buyers, you know, do you consider a supplier's uh, commitment to diversity, equity, inclusion um, when you make a decision around a new partnership? And more and more, 54% um, of them said they did. And I think we're going to see that continue to be a, um, a, a, an issue that buyers look at. At Outreach, we now have 40% of our sales force is, is female. Um, we need to do a better job at the sales leader level, and we need to bring in more people of color, to be really frank. So this type of leader is going to have to look at new pools for talent, new ways of acquiring talent, and new strategies for retaining that talent. We talked about the buyer-centric strategy. I think everything that this leader does is going to have to be with the buyer in mind versus um, the supplier organization. The finance and data literacy is really interesting to me as well. Um, Anna is actually uh, was a CFO before she took on our CRO role. And I'm seeing more and more focus on um, data literacy being necessary for this job. And yet when Gartner uh, did a study to look at um, uh, talent at the sales, first and second line sales manager level and even CRO level, we see that many are struggling with that data literacy. So that's an area where I think reskilling and upskilling is going to be needed. Um, in my day, sales leaders didn't buy sales technologies. We left that to the marketing leaders, the CIO. And so today, you're going to have to have much more uh, te technological know-how and a better understanding of how to get a big enterprise uh, SaaS uh, technology purchase through your organization and start to get budgets for that technology. And then the empathy and accountability piece, I think, is really important. Accountability has always been important in sales. But as you start to see the complexities um, of our uh, global and social dynamics today, you need a leader who can relate extremely well and empathetically to their staff. So how does this translate at the manager level? The sales manager role is one of the hardest roles in the entire go-to-market organization. They're squeezed between senior management and the field. They take that role because they're probably great as an individual contributor. And even in the first couple of years when they have that role, they may even take a hit economically. And so what does this sales, sales leader look like, this sales manager of the future? Well, like I said before, we're going to see much more focus on predictable production across the whole team, not just a few leaders. This person needs to have the tools to be able to coach in a hyper-hybrid environment and to understand how to use those tools and be pretty digitally savvy. They understand that they can get personal and professional leverage through technology. The other thing was interesting is this concept of um, mental fitness. We've heard so much about that, whether it was from Wimbledon or the Olympics or um, even just any day in the news. Now, uh, in addition to committing to their direct reports, professional and personal development, there's an expectation that this person is going to be really you know, focused on helping them manage their mental health. It's a really different world. At Outreach, we have um, refresh days for each functional area of the business once, once, once a month and everyone is encouraged to take that day off. And I think it's more than that, as you all know. Um, but again, there's an expectation from employees that you're going to be working with them on this particular area of life. And then this data piece. 
we've got sales managers that need to really dig into the data and use that data to inform just about every coaching decision um, they're going to make. And I don't think they're quite there yet in terms of the skill set. And then at the rep level, you know, building long-term relationships, I think that's something that's always been important. But this rep needs to be comfortable in a digital-first world, even though they may not engage digitally or remotely all the time. So that means having the right light set up, understanding how to have the right audio set up. How do you have a meaningful sales and buying experience in an entirely remote environment? That may create um, some opportunity for training. They also need to have a data-driven mindset because if you go back to that Gartner stat, 60% of buying and selling is going to be focused on that sort of insights-driven approach. Um, so they need to be able to cull insights from the data they have access to. They need to be predictable producers. And then this collaboration piece, I think, is really important. As you see the uh, number of buyers in your buying committee, and I know Forrester is actually not saying buyer anymore. They're saying buying group because literally the groups are just getting bigger and bigger. So this person needs to be highly collaborative, not just externally with the buying group, but internally with your set of experts that are going to match the different skill set uh, of that buying group and have a system to be able to um, facilitate and foster that collaboration. Now, would I have hired a rep that had these types of skill sets you know, 10 years ago, five years? We go, probably not. I would have hired from a competitor. I would have taken an internal referral. I would have hired someone who had a big network or um, could open doors. And so I think we're in a world where you as business leaders need to think about um, your talent differently and ensure that you have the right enablement programs and the right tools and technologies to allow them to be successful in a fundamentally different world. So I promised in the um, abstract for this event that we talk a little bit about what it was going to take to get a predictable, efficient growth machine in play, which is what everyone wants to do. So I think one thing you could do is identify those revenue innovators in your own organizations. Who are they? Earmark them. Um, support them. Invest in their careers. Invest in reskilling and upskilling. Every seller, I think, could benefit from um, having some sort of a course that helps with digital and remote interaction skills. It's not necessary. It's not uh, natural to sellers. Uh, I didn't go to media school. I think most sellers probably didn't. So there's some things that they need um, that they can be more effective with in a digital environment. I think it is time to pare back the mashup of all of these point solutions. Point solutions play a wonderful role as a marketplace is maturing in early days. Think about 2009 and marketing automation and all of the different um, MA solutions that were out there. Well, ultimately, they consolidated into the three to four to five big players that we all know today. So the sales tech landscape now is mature enough that you don't need to go to those individual point solutions to get the most innovation. You need to pick out a leading provider and a platform um, that has comprehensive capabilities. Start to think about that platform as one that's going to provide um, intelligence, that's going to use the AI to not tell you what to do, but to provide options. And then you overlay the art and the experience on how you make that decision. 
Take your go-to-market teams out of the data entry game. I mean, we are way beyond that. Um, so many solutions will uh, extract all of the activity behavior between both your selling teams and your market and your your buying teams, and put that into the CRM, and then start to tap into that behavioral activity data to impact your deals, your pipeline, and your forecasts. And I think the thing that's so beautiful about this is that you can make real-time course corrections. You don't have to wait until the one lost deal report comes across your desk. You can see from this activity what deals are at risk. Um, and you can start to apply corrective measures before you've lost that deal. And then utilize the AI to um, surface up recommendations. Again, um, you're going to apply your own intuition and experience on which type of recommendation you'd pick, or maybe none at all, and then ensure you have the systems in place to allow your sales managers to coach um, and apply real-time corrective measures in a hyper-hybrid world. So as I wrap up, I would be amiss if I didn't put in a plug for our new podcast, which is called uh, Revenue Innovators. And Colin here has helped helps us launch that and has led the charge there. We've only been around for about a month and a half and I'm absolutely loving it. And I'd love to hear from you if you um, would love to share your story, what you're doing in your organization to bring innovation, transformation um, to your go-to-market organizations and how you're using data and technology to um, drive your business to the next level. And um, if you don't want to be a guest, then uh, I invite you to join and listen in. Uh, we, we have a lot of fun. I'm talking to all kinds of different business leaders, um, both who are revenue innovators, but others who um, can actually provide value to revenue innovators. I've got an executive coach who's going to be talking about mental fitness for the revenue innovators um, in the next couple of months. So uh, lots of exciting things are happening, and I uh, hope that you'll join in one way or another. So thank you very much for coming today and listening to my presentation. All right, folks. Well, that is a wrap on the brilliant Mary Shea of Outreach. It was just so fascinating to hear how these revenue innovators are, you know, transforming their organizations during these uncertain times. Um, definitely keep an eye out for more of these revenue innovators in, in the future. And I hope it, you know, inspired you to make some changes in the way your teams market and sell to customers. Um, again, Mary Shea is just incredible. So I really hope you enjoyed that session. Of course, don't forget to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss any new episodes on your podcast player of choice. And of course, catch us on Twitter and LinkedIn to share feedback and let us know who else you want to hear from on the pod. Um, that's, uh, that's a wrap on me, actually. So thanks for joining me on the B2BMX podcast today. I will catch you all next week.